The Breakfast Show on Faith FM. We have a number of things to do. That is, one, read text messages. Two, do a Bible study. But then uh, zero, so before one, uh, we have to do another question <laughs> for the quiz. Yeah, lost and food had to count. Um, for how much was Joseph sold into slavery? Oh, mm. no, the answer, 0491064669. For how much was Joseph sold into slavery? How much do you reckon you'd get if you were sold, Lawson? I don't want to speculate. I think it's one of those things of, like, you know, it, the answer will, like, never never be satisfying. <laughs> um, and you'll never feel good about it. All you have to do is go to Africa and get an offer to be purchased for marriage, which happened to me. Yeah, that's right. My top offer was 50 cows, which apparently is a lot. Is Yeah. I, the average rate is two cows, so 50 well, cows was a lot of Hey, I got, I got offered, you know, cows. Yeah. But, like, from, from men who are offering me their daughter. Oh, okay. So okay. I got offered cows, work, a house, a vehicle, <laughs> um... Yeah, I, I got a, I got some def, decent yeah. offers. Anytime I'm feeling low, I just remember I'm a 50-cow girl. <laughs> <laughs> I, I'm worth it, dude. I'm worth it. We were talking to one of my friends, one of my really, really good friends is from Uganda. And uh, she then, where she's in our friend group where we've got like all kind of international people from China and from Japan. And I was talking to my friend from China because my friend from Uganda is currently in Uganda at the moment, you know, oh. hanging out. And I was with my friend from China. I'm like, oh, you should have gone with her to, you know, to get mad, you know, go over there and, and find a husband. You're probably worth like 10 cows. <laughs> <laughs> it's so funny. I remember dude. Lyle doing the math about how, how much 50 cows was worth. And it, it turns out it's in the millions. What? Yeah. Because if you look at like in the, like how much a Jersey cow is worth in Australia, it's quite a bit. Dude, you could have been ringed up and, and cashed up. Ringed up yeah. and cashed up. That's awesome. I'm, I'm, I'm good. I'm good. You're chilling. You're chilling. <laughs> yeah. You were like, oh, I'm, I'm, I'm not about being Look, I some was considering it, but African then when I discovered like, the houses, there's a mud hut and, and the woman has to build it herself. Oh, yikes. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And it's, and the, it's, not, it's not just mud. It's a mixture of um, dung and mud. And it's the new that wife. The... It's the expectation that the new wife builds the mud hut because the man's allowed to have multiple wives. And so each oh. wife has to build her own abode so they don't have a little fighting if they all live in the one house. Ah. So yeah, he lost me on that. Also, the windows are really, really small. Also having huts. multiple wives. Yeah, and that. You know, polygamy, <laughs> not about it. Yeah. <laughs> hey, but 0491 uh, how much do you think you are? What? No, never mind. Um, it was how much was Joseph, Joseph sold into slavery? That's right. And if you it, answer it that... 50 cows. That if, you, if that answer, if your answer is correct, you're going to the draw to win our amazing prize for this week, which is... A beautiful prize. That's yeah. right. Our beautiful, amazing, vegan, epic Bible. Yeah. Journal the Word reference Bible. So mm-hmm. it's not just a journaling Bible. It's also a study Bible. So yeah, real, you get a lot of use out of this one. Or as we said before, wrap it to get under the Christmas tree. Or if you want any terms and conditions in regards to our draw or our prizes, head over to faithfm.com. Dot au. I have a few uh, text messages here. Frank Houston uh, and God said, everything that is done in darkness shall be brought out in full mm. daylight. No yeah. one is able to cover their sins. You might as well repent and confess for the whole world will know. Amen. Oof. Either on this world or in the judgment, which is... <laughs> so true. Which is, uh, I think... Potentially a scary thought. And if that is a scary thought for you, well, God is calling you to confess and Mm. to repent and -hmm. and he will save you. Yeah. The next text we have here, the human ear 
We are a marvelously, we are marvelously made by a creator, by the perfect creator. Science today has made great achievements for the hearing impaired, but it needs to be connected to a brain, also made by God to make sense of the sounds. Absolutely. You know, I was thinking about it too. I was looking at a list of, of frequencies because we're talking about cycles per second, which is hertz. And there are different numbers of hertz depending on what note there is. So he was saying middle C. I think middle C Mm -hmm. is around, what does it say here? I've got a little chart up. Middle C is like 523.25 hertz. Now that hertz level, like in the 500s, middle C, the jumps that you're making in frequency for a full tone. Like, so if you have, well, not a full tone, but a semitone, if you sit at a piano and you go from like the white key to say the black key, that's a, if you're at C and you go up to C sharp, that's a semitone. At that level is, what is it here? About 50, no, sorry, 25 hertz. So that's a, a 25 cycle jump. Now he's saying that our brain can tell the difference between one hertz. Oh, wow. So, so. Again, uh, middle C is 523. Apparently, we can tw- tell the difference between 523 and t- 524. But he said up to fi- uh, 12,000 hertz, we can understand that, which I was looking at on a chart. That's like when you get higher and higher up the frequencies, like as you go higher and higher up the notes, there's a bigger jump that's required to go from to go up a semitone. And so if you go from like C8 to C sharp 8, there's like a... 300 hertz difference in that in that one semitone and he's saying up to 12,000 we can tell one hertz so so that's like that's up to 12,000 that uh, we're talking about like one oh, what would even be the statistic it's like one one thousandth of or maybe even le- maybe less than that maybe one five hundredth of a semitone so the number but actually i've got a guitar here here we go so so we apparently according to john we can tell the difference if you go from this so oh whoops yeah we can tell the difference between those two notes to a one one thousandth accuracy wow so so it gets to the point where yeah it's it's so it's so clear which again shows us how intricately yeah. amazing our ear is. And then there's people. So we can tell the difference in pitch unless you're completely atonal, which is like a medical condition. You mm-hmm. actually can't tell the difference. We can tell the difference in pitch. But then there's some people who have trained their brain to say, oh, and I know which note that is and which number that is and which sound that is. And that's called perfect pitch. So mm-hmm. being able to just hear a random note and say, oh, that's an A or a C or whatever it may be. Those kinds of mechanisms are just, yeah, in, impossible for us to be able to to tell the difference between that. But it was awesome talking to John Ashton about sound, and I get to think about it and relate it back to music, which I love so much, which is, okay, I will say, we're talking about Christmas. Mm-hmm. Talking about what, how much we love Christmas. Love us. I was like, I've never decorated a tree. I've never decorated my house. I never wrap presents. I just eat. I also, <laughs> I also listen to Christmas music. Oh, okay, yeah, because I, love I, music. I love Christmas music. So, shout out Christmas music, it's awesome. You're listening to the breakfast show this morning, and we're going to do a Bible study. Yeah. So, have you got a Bible there with you, Monica? I believe you do. It's right there, big sure old, do. big old Bible. And we're talking about in regards to our overall topic in our 20 million movement, which has been the topic of death and resurrection this week. The topic, the more specific topic, our sub 
topic is uh, talking about end-time deceptions. Now, yesterday we talked about the problem of mysticism and experientialism, where basically your whole uh, spiritual understanding, your whole understanding of God and of the Bible and how to relate to him comes from personal experience rather than the word of God. And the problems that come from that, because a personal experience is subjective and can be wrong, Mm -hmm. whereas... Uh, the Bible is outside of us, it's external to us, and it can be an objective guiding marker to what is correct. And we're going to be continuing that, but talking specifically today about near-death experiences. Now, I wanted to ask you the question, Monica. When we die, Mm. what happens according to what the Bible says? And we've been talking about this over the last however many weeks we've been doing this study. When we die, what happens? We just go into a sleep state, basically. That's right. Yeah, we yeah. sleep in the grave, and not like literal sleep. Mm-hmm. You know, our heart's not beating in there. Yeah, no. No, we're in a state of unconsciousness, mm-hmm. the unconsciousness of death. Yeah, but that's the extent of it. It's not like bits of us or parts of us go somewhere and mm-hmm. live on. It's like that's it. And that's what we've been talking about in our study: is that the Bible does not support the idea of the immortal soul. Mm. Uh, we do not possess innate immortality, neither do we possess a soul that goes immediately to heaven or hell after we die. The Bible speaks more about the resurrection. Uh, it's one of the most prolific doctrines in the Bible. And the, the doctrine of resurrection completely cancels out the need for an immortal soul. Because why be resurrected if you're not really dead? Mm. But what we see very clearly is, no, when we die, we sleep, and Jesus, he resurrects us at the very end of time. Uh, and throughout time, there have been some smaller, minor resurrection for a few different characters, and they've gone to heaven, ascended to heaven as a result of those resurrections, say Moses or the people who were resurrected at Jesus' resurrection, you know, 2,000 years ago. You're listening to The Breakfast Show. Contact us on 0491-064-669. But this is the very point. Life after death is enabled by a resurrection, not by dying. Amen. When you die, the Bible, what does the Bible say? You have perished. Yeah. You're asleep. You're done. That being said, have you ever heard of people describing spiritualistic near-death experiences? Yeah, for sure. And and what's like some of the common... Oh, the things. outer body experience, mm-hmm. and they floated above the room. They could look down and watch stuff happening and this kind of thing, and yeah. Mm-hmm. Now, these near-death experiences, uh, they're regarded as, well, the, the reason they're called near-death experiences is because someone is classified as clinically dead, and then they get revived, and they have the ability to talk about it. Seeing a light at the end of a tunnel. Yeah, see a light, you know, see family members, whatever mm, it may be. Which, flashing before their eyes. Which, again, particularly in regards to family members, is something that we've seen th- repeatedly throughout our Bible studies is just not true. Like, mm-hmm. the Bible is so against divination. If you are someone, especially if you're someone who is following Jesus, or what, whether or not you're not following Jesus, like, divination is so against, like, what God wants and he's outlawed it so much that you dying and then seeing your family members and whatnot, then they're dead too. Like we've just seen throughout our Bible study that no, like divination is contacting demons. Cause when people die, they're really dead. They're really in the grave. But a lot of people describe having this kind of experience when they become clinically dead, uh, their heart stops and they have these out of body experiences. And then when they're revived, they 
go on to talk about them. Now, that being said, I want to ask you the question, Monica. Is being clinically dead actually death? Not all the time. Mm-hmm. Like someone might, like medically. Uh-huh. You've heard stories about people like they got revived. But for the most part, yes. But But this is my point. If they have the ability to be revived... By then I would I would say that if they are clinically dead and they come back, that means that the diagnosis was incorrect as opposed to them being actually dead. Yeah. Are people who can be revived actually dead? This is my question. No. Are people no, who they can not. get a resuscitator out and shock yeah. them in the chest, It'll, have yeah. they actually no, died? No. The answer is no. Their yeah. heart has stopped mm-hmm. and that's the that's the the... The standard of clinical death is when a person's heart stops. And maybe you're a nurse or a doctor or you're listening to the show and you can give us some information about that. Your heart has stopped, clinically dead. But if someone dies, okay, if someone actually loses their life, you cannot revive them with a resuscitator, mm-hmm. with a defibrillator. Mm-hmm. That's impossible. Yeah. When someone dies, like if their heart stops, you can zap them, get their heart going again because their brain is still functioning. Mm -hmm. But when someone dies, it is impossible to revive them. So what we see there is that, yes, while they're pronounced clinically dead because their heart has stopped, they're not actually dead. But what we see in the Bible when resurrections, different resurrections happen throughout the Bible, is not that people are clinically dead. You know, we don't have someone losing their life on the table and Jesus coming through and resuscitating them. We see a bunch of experiences where people actually die. Uh, Let's have a look at one of them. Let's go to a really, really powerful, interesting one. John chapter 11. Let's go to John chapter 11. And Monica, if you can read for us verse 40 to verse 44 in John chapter 11. Let me get there first. John chapter 11. And sorry, what verse? Uh, 40 to verse 44. 40 to 44. Jesus responded, Didn't I tell you that you would see God's glory if you believe? So they rolled the stone aside. Then Jesus looked up to heaven and said, Father, thank you for hearing me. You always hear me, but I said it out loud for the sake of all these people standing here, so that they will believe you sent me. Then Jesus shouted, Lazarus, come out. And the dead man came out, his hands and feet bound in grave clothes and his face wrapped in a headcloth. Jesus said to them, unwrap him and let him go. Mm. Okay, so Jesus goes and he resurrects Lazarus. Not resuscitates, resurrects. He's been dead for a bit. How long has he been dead? Do you know? Oh, what was it, three days? It's like, yeah, Yeah. four days he's been in the grave. Mm -hmm. Like to the point where his skin is rotting off the bone. He's smelly. He is a smelly boy. Mm -hmm. You know, there's there's no deodorant back then and he wouldn't be able to use it because he is dead. dead. Like (laughs) he is dead in the grave and he is resurrected by Jesus. Again, I, I think it's very telling that the call here from Jesus is Lazarus, come forth. Or Lazarus, come out. Because where is Lazarus? He's just sitting in the tomb. He's in the grave. The tomb, yeah. He doesn't say, Lazarus, come down. Mm-hmm. He doesn't say, Lazarus, come over. Come over. Mm-hmm. He doesn't say, Lazarus, come up. Mm-hmm. He doesn't point to heaven. You know, he talks to the Father in heaven, right? Mm-hmm. He says, Father, you know, do this miracle that I may prove your might and your... And this is like one of the last major miracles Jesus does before he goes into Jerusalem. And he would die and be resurrected himself. 
to give credence to the idea that someone can be resurrected. There was a number of resurrections that Jesus participated in. But this one was especially showing the disciples. You know, their friend Lazarus had died. And it's like, hey, this is what has happened to Lazarus. This is what's going to happen to me. It's interesting. Again, he looks up to heaven and addresses the father. He doesn't say anything to Lazarus. But then furthermore, when Lazarus is resurrected, what we don't have is an account from Lazarus saying, guys, I was in heaven. Mm. I saw my family and my loved ones. Mm -hmm. I spent time with them. And now I'm really happy to leave the place of perfection to come back to this (laughs) sinful, disgusting world where I'm eventually going to die again. Yeah, yeah. That, like, no, that isn't, isn't what Lazarus <laughs> says. We, we don't see that. And we don't see that in any account of resurrection right throughout the Bible. Let's, let's have a look at another one. Let's go to Mark chapter 5, if you can get that for us. Monica, we're going to go to Mark chapter 5, verse 41 to 43. Mark chapter 5, verse 41 to 43. Holding her hand, he said to her, Talitha kum, which means little girl, get up. And the little girl, who was 12 years old, immediately stood up and walked around. They were overwhelmed and totally amazed. Jesus gave them strict orders not to tell anyone what had happened, and then he told them to give her something to eat. Mm, Okay, so we have this story, and Jesus tells, you know, resurrects this little girl, which is an amazing miracle. Like, it's, it's so awesome. And she comes back to life again. Tabitha, arise. Why does she need to arise? Because she's laying in bed. Mm -hmm. She's not talking to Tabitha in heaven, not talking to the ghost or the spirit of Tabitha, but Tabitha arises. It it almost seems like Jesus goes out of his way, not to perpetuate ideas of spiritualism here. Um, But then he tells them not to tell anyone about what had happened. Why were they amazed? Uh, It says here that they were amazed. What, What was it that amazed them? The fact that a dead person came back to life. (laughs) Absolutely. And then he tells them, oh, don't tell anyone about what happened here. Mm. Which it seems like a lot of people who have these near-death experiences and they go go on to share them and go on to write whole books about them or whatever it may be. It seems like that they're going out of their way to not do what Jesus said. We we know that this is a specific circumstance. Mm -hmm. But the reason he's telling them not to tell anyone is because of how amazing this miracle was. And again, Jesus had fear of being crowned. Uh, a king forcefully by the people, which he didn't want to do. He came to be a dying Messiah, not a conquering Messiah. He would conquer sin, not the Romans. But what we don't see here is Jesus telling them, don't, Tabitha, don't tell anyone about what you saw in heaven. Don't don't tell anyone about that. Just Just keep it to yourself. We don't see any of that. And we don't see Tabitha sharing about, guys, I was in heaven. It's just she's walking around. And then they're like, oh, feed her. And we've talked about this on The Breakfast Show before with Blake. Have you ever been resurrection hungry? You know, imagine <laughs> being dead and then, you know, coming back to life and that stomach is just empty, you know. You need, mm-hmm. need something to fill you up. And we see, we actually see a couple of times in the stories of the resurrection where, like, people are resurrected and they immediately get fed. Mm-hmm. It's like, dang, they must have been hungry, hungry. after yeah. that. They must have been <laughs> truly hungry. But we never see in any of these experiences of resurrections, and there's many that we could go through, we never, ever, ever see the people who have been resurrected describing their experience in heaven. Which, again, if we had that, like, I'd be like, okay, the Bible clearly teaches that we have an immortal soul. If we had saved people coming in ghost form and revealing themselves to people, other than, of course, Moses and Elijah, who both went to heaven in body and were resurrected, you know, Elijah and the chariot. If we had saved people regularly coming 
to the saints in the Bible and saying, hey, yeah, I'm in heaven. It's really great. Something we never see. I would say, okay, there's an immortal soul. And if we saw the people being resurrected describing their experience in heaven, I'd concede. I'd say, yep, there's an immortal soul. But the two ingredients that are most necessary for that doctrine to be true, they're just not there. They're just not in the Bible. You're listening to The Breakfast Show Podcast on Faith FM. Positively different. <laughs> Monica, are you okay? <laughs> the headphones were pinching me. You got attacked by <laughs> the headset. You're listening to The Breakfast headset. Show on Faith FM. And Monica is going to give us another, a final question for the quiz this morning. Who was Jacob tricked into marrying? <laughs> One of the sketchiest stories in the Bible. Man, who was he tripped, tricked into marrying? How could you get tricked into marrying the wrong woman? I still don't understand this. Just look at her, you would have known it was the wrong person. Anyway. Me. (laughs) (laughs) Who was Jacob tricked into marrying? 049. I was fully fully about to give the answer to. Because she was a good girl. Yeah. She was kind of nice. She got stitched up. She did. Just just because she wasn't as good looking as her sister. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Just because Jacob was just a little rascal Mm -hmm. and decided to marry like three other people. Yeah, she. This chick was a good cook, apparently. Oh, mm. dude, I wish I would get tricked into marrying <laughs> a good cook. <laughs> Whoops! <laughs> Lawson. Oh, Lawson hates being single. Uh, no, nah, that's not true. That's not true. I love God. Uh, you know, Amen, Amen. Paul said it was better to be single. <laughs> Do you need a tissue? <laughs> no. <laughs> Um, anyways, zero four nine one zero six four six six nine is the number to call or text. Don't call me desperate. Yeah. I'm, 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 I'm chilling, bro. I'm doing my thing. Zero four nine one zero six four six six nine is the number to call if you happen to know any eligible young women. Oh, stop, <laughs> stop! Lyle does this all the time. Oh, does he yeah, really? And, and I'm not, I'm not about it. Okay, um, okay. Know, keep it to yourselves. Yeah, hook me up with a laptop. Hook Lawson up with a girlfriend. <laughs> Anyways, we're talking about the resurrection, and we're talking about our Bible study, and we've been talking about well, again, resurrecting for your it, single life. for it to be. Stop. Uh, it's resurrecting my dating life. That's that, that would be the right thing. But for the Bible to be able to clearly establish the immortal soul as, the, as a true doctrine, you need two things. You need saved people showing up in ghost form. And the other thing is the account of resurrection, resurrected people like Lazarus or like this young girl or uh, like some other characters within the Bible who have been resurrected. You need accounts from them describing their experience in heaven. After they've died. Mm. But we just simply don't see that. Yeah, none of them. So therefore, plus the entire weight of evidence that we have on the other side showing death is asleep. When you die, you're dead in the grave. No one possesses immortality except God. He's the only one. We don't have an immortal soul which goes to heaven or hell after we die. Like, these are established by different verses. We also see because of the experiences of these people who've been resurrected that that's not what happens. So then, how do we count for people's near-death experiences where they see a light or a loved one or whatever it may may be. How do we account for that? How do we fit that in? Now, we have a couple of different options, Mm -hmm. that a couple of different routes that we can go down. But the first thing that I want to establish, again, that we talked about in our last segment, is that these people had a near-death experience. They weren't resurrected. They were 
resuscitated. Maybe that's an experience that you've had. I, I don't know. There's plenty of people listening to this show. Maybe I've I've never personally been resuscitated. I've been knocked out a few times. Oh, really? Um, yeah, like I've been knocked out like five times in my life. It explains a lot. Uh, yeah, that's <laughs> no, I'm kidding. That's right. <laughs> Luckily, I don't think I have any CTE or anything like that. Uh-huh. All of my concussions are kind of far apart, but which is good to know, just, you know, just share. Maybe it's a bit of oversharing, but um, yeah, it's my life. Anyways, but how do we account for this? If the Bible doesn't support that idea of, you know, you doing that, how do we account for it? Again, these people have had near-death experiences, so they have not actually died. Yes, they've become clinically dead because their heart has stopped, but because of continual brain activity, like the blood stopped pumping, but because of brain activity, the brain is still going, they're being shocked, resuscitated, they're continuing to live. Now, they have this experience. They might see a light or loved ones or life flash before their eyes, whatever it may be. Where does that come from? Well, I'm going to give you guys some advice that you shouldn't take. <laughs> Don't take this advice. Okay. 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 If you want to have a near-death experience, uh, not a near-death experience. Don't have a near-death experience today. If you want to have an out-of-body experience today, mm-hmm. there is a number of ways in which you can do that. Okay. Uh, don't take this. I've, I've personally, I've, I've never done drugs in my life. I have, before I followed the Lord, he, I was an alcoholic and he saved me from alcoholism and I've been sober for six years, but I've, I've never like personally done recreational drugs or whatever it may be, but I know people who have, and they will tell you, yeah, you can have an out of body experience today. Just go and take DMT or drink ayahuasca and bam. You can have an out-of-body experience today where you see your loved ones, you see a light at the end of the tunnel, you can experience all those different things. So it's not really about death, it's about your brain. Yeah, that's right. Mm -hmm. Because what happens when you die? Well, even when you clinically die, uh, or when most people die, or pretty much when all people die, there's an unfortunate side effect. Uh, You know, death isn't really truly um, super-duper clean, unfortunately, because the side effect of people dying is that usually their loins are emptied. Yeah. Uh, Their loins are loosed and Mm -hmm. their bowels and whatnot are empty. And that's because our entire body relaxes at once. All of a sudden we go from, you know, body functioning and working in our, we have our conscious brain that thinks about things consciously, but our subconscious and whatnot that operates the entirety of our body, which is kind of amazing. We don't even think about, we don't need to think at all like, oh, I need to digest this thing. It just all happens by itself because our subconscious brain, our task manager has got everything running in the background, keeping us going. Okay. You don't think, hey, you need to clench anything, but then when you die and yeah, it suddenly unclenches. That's right. Yeah, that's what happens. But this is something that happens to your whole body. Now, when you take drugs, uh, when you take a pill, it's the influence of the ingredients in that pill creates a chemical chain reaction in your brain that leads to some kind of outcome. Mm-hmm. Whether it be, you know, you take a, a pill for, I don't know, you take like Roaccutane uh, or something and it makes your skin dry out and it does a few different things to overcome your acne. You take paracetamol and it, you know, uh, delves down some pain receptors in your body, whatever it may be. But that is because of the chemical reaction happening in your brain. Now, imagine a point in which... All of your body loses function and loses its, you know, control of itself. And all of a sudden, every chemical in your brain that could potentially clash into one another, that could have a chemical reaction that le- that could lead to hallucinations, all opens up at once. You will definitely have a hallucination. Yeah, absolutely. You'll definitely have a hallucination. Uh, and, and this is what we see. Like, I really, really believe it's clear that 
hey, you know, it's not that you're seeing heaven or assault because, again, you can have those experiences now by taking a number of different illegal and illicit substances. And for that reason, there are, like, yeah, people who regard themselves as spiritual and they say, yeah, I have spiritual experiences all the time. God speaks to me and da 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 It's because they take drugs. Mm-hmm. And they say, yeah, this is, this is what's happening to me. And then when people are on their deathbed, their brain has released a thousand and one chemicals and they're all mixing together and having chain reactions that – can definitely cause you to hallucinate then they're like wow god spoke to me as i was dying and the reality is is well firstly we don't see that happening in the bible we don't so we don't have an objective standard on which to base that experience on but furthermore there is a very reasonable and plausible explanation as to why that would be happening which very much lines up to what we see happen when people die which is they 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 die secondarily though it can also be because this is a myth perpetuated and because you know satan is walking around like a roaring lion seeing whom he may devour in second corinthians eleven fourteen, the bible says even satan disguises himself as an angel of light this can also be a negative deceptive trick. spiritual trick or mm-hmm. experience to get you to believe that that's what's happening mm-hmm. even as you die um even as you're being resuscitated Satan wants this to happen so that you are fooled. Which comes back to what you said at the beginning, that we have to um, trust the Bible and not our personal That's right. experiences. But when we put the Bible in front of our experiences, the objective word of God that sits before us, we know what is true and we know what to believe. You're listening to The Breakfast Show Podcast on Faith FM. Positively different. You're listening to The Breakfast Show and right now, Oh, what should we do first? Answers for the quiz, text messages. I think answers for the quiz. So give okay. us some answers, Monica. All right, here we go. The sun went backwards during the reign of King Hezekiah. Mm. Uh, whose son claimed that Ecclesiastes were his words? David. Mm. Uh, the borrower is slave to the lender. Mm-hmm. Joseph was sold into slavery for 20 shekels of silver. And Jacob was tricked into marrying the wonderful cook, Leah. Mm, shout out. I have some text messages here from Sky. Do not worry, Lawson. We just all heard your confession and we will look into it for you. <laughs> uh, thank you, Sky. Hey, man. Thanks, Sky. And, um, <laughs> That's my favorite text. She also today. sent through and said, you guys are making us laugh. Being KO'd five times, that explains a lot. <laughs> I'd love to see or be a part of a Faith FM version of Would I Lie to You. Do you know what Would I Lie to You is? No. It's like, I think it's like a British show where it's like they have, it's basically like two truths, one lie. Oh, yes, I know that show. Oh, yeah, that show's hilarious. Yeah, yeah so yeah. she would love to see a Faith FM version. I, we should do that for a segment. 100%. That would be so funny. <laughs> I would. I would absolutely slay everyone. I'd be so good at that game. Because you're just such an enigma. Um, is that sure. the, is that the point? It's like <laughs> I know I actually played this with a psychologist one time, and, okay. he, and he told me that I was the only person in his whole career who's ever managed to um, trick him. Wow! Yeah, there you go. I think I just exposed myself as a psychopath. But anyway, okay. moving along. Uh, yep, that's one of the <laughs> is a psychopath. <laughs> Two truths, one lie. But hey, right now it's time for question of the day. 
Lawson. Yes. What does it mean in the Bible when Jesus said that the Pharisees eat up the houses of the widows? Are they like munching on gingerbread houses? Are yeah. the widows like churning out little gingerbread houses for Christmas? What's going on? Are there? they eating literal brick and mortar, you know, because yeah. they're have hungry? The, have the widows made like houses like out of Hansel or Gretel story stuff? Their houses made out of candy and... What's yeah. going on? How does a Pharisee eat the house of a widow? In, G- in Matthew chapter 23, verses 13 to 15, uh, Jesus is giving a stern warning to the, stipl- to the disciples about the Pharisees and yeah. the religious leaders at the time. And he says, like, woe to the Pharisees and the scribes, the hypocrites, for you devour widows' houses uh, and for a pretense make long prayers. Therefore, you will receive greater condemnation. So the Bible calls them devourers of widows' houses. And the question is, well, what does that mean? Mm. Are they literally eating houses? Well, no. Uh, like Pharisees and religious leaders, do you know what it took to become a Pharisee? Like one of the, one of the core tenets of being a Pharisee? Uh, I'm, I'm guessing a lot of politicking. Yeah, a lot mm-hmm. of politicking. The other core tenet and, and, you know, core things of being a Pharisee is memorizing the entire Old Testament. <gasps> Reels. So they, they knew it all off by heart. By the time they were like, I think it was by the time they were like 11, they could memorize the Torah. Yeah, but they probably weren't wasting time scrolling on social media. That's so. right. You know, time. they didn't have Instagram back then, mm-hmm. so it would have been easier. <laughs> no, <laughs> but they had to memorize the entire Torah by the age of like 11 and then by the age of 16 the entire Old Testament. Um, and you'll find right throughout the Bible uh, in the Old Testament the, the importance of looking after God's people, particularly widows. Um, and you'll find that in, you know, all, particularly in the Torah, when giving commands to spiritual leaders, God talks about the importance of caring for the foreigners, the orphans, and the widows. And we see that, you know, um, kind of reinterpolated in the New Testament. You know, true religion is this, to give care to the orphans and the widows and the homeless. We see that in the book of James. Now, scribes and Pharisees, uh, instead of showing them compassion, would often cheat the widows. And how they would do this, how would would they devour a widow's house? Well, essentially, what is a widow? Uh, It's a woman who has lost her husband to death. That's right. A woman who has lost her husband. So a woman who has lost her husband. Now, legally, the husband would often leave, well, pretty much all the time because they're married, uh, would leave their estate to a widow. So they now become the owner of the estate, whether it's the house or the business or whatever. But then the husband, you know, before his death would usually make preparations for some kind of legal uh, representative um, to look over the proceedings of in- the inheritance of the will, you know, for look after the, the lady as she receives everything and, and come up with solutions on how it is that she's going to keep it and receive it and whatever it may be. Just like we see today, there's a, a lawyer that presides over the will and determines, you know, what people should receive. Now, unfortunately, these Pharisees and these lawyers, these people who were called to look after the widows would go out of their way to cheat the widows and could definitely trick them into losing everything that they have. And that's why we see that widows become such a vulnerable group in society because of the, the fact that they're taken advantage of. And it was Pharisees and scribes, mm. the people who were legally supposed to protect the women and look after the widows who would cheat them the most and lead widows to devastating lives of begging or prostitution or whatever it may be as a result of their cheating. So it's a really unfortunate circumstances, but that was, that's what the Bible says, and that's what it means when the Bible says, you know, devouring the houses of 
widows. Thanks for being a part of the Faith FM family. Join our community on Facebook or get in touch at 1-800-FAITH-FM.